brother says, hey, uh, you know what's going on? And we don't have televisions inside the house chamber. We don't know. So if I found this out, really, uh, honestly, before these uniform and uh, other personnel rushed into the house chamber to take uh, Speaker Pelosi away. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. Dorian couldn't be here today, but he and I are the co-owners of 1820 Coffee House and 1820 Marketing in the heart of Alvin, Texas. If you're a first-time listener, we encourage you to subscribe to hear more. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts or at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. We'd love for you to subscribe to stay up to date with us and our community. Today, we are recording from Heights Baptist Church, where our guest will be giving a presentation to the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce later today. Thank you to Heights Baptist for allowing us to use your facility and to the chamber for helping coordinate this interview. In this episode, I get to sit down with Congressman Troy Nels. Nels is in his first term as a congressman, and we're thankful he was able to make the time to sit down for the podcast. Welcome to the show, Congressman. Good morning, Jake. Thank you for having me. Sure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You started how long ago in law enforcement? Sure. God, it's been over 30 years. And, and you know, people ask me, and you can probably tell by my accent, they say, where are you from? Where were you born? I said north of Dallas, which is the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> so I, I was born and raised in Wisconsin and, and moved down here almost 30 years ago uh, with my identical twin brother. Uh, I come from seven. There are six boys and one girl. And uh, my identical twin brother and I, we are the youngest. I'm the youngest of the seven. And so we've had an older brother, Terry, that's lived down in Houston for about 35 years. He's in the airline industry. So my twin brother and I would come down and visit in and, and that little Richmond, Rosenberg area in Fort Bend County. We liked what we saw. Yeah. So uh, we were in law enforcement in Wisconsin for a couple of years, transferred that training and experience down here into Houston, went through a modified police academy and and now here I am 30 years later, you know, serving in law enforcement for almost 30 years in Fort Bend and now obviously being a member of Congress. So it, uh, that's what brought us down here looking for some Southern Bells. So my twin brother and I, uh, we live right next to each other. Oh, wow. Bill Tones right next to each other. Yes. Uh, he's married, has three children. I'm married, have three children. So it's wonderful. Wow. Very identical. What was the process like transferring as a police officer from Wisconsin to Texas? Just some just a modified police academy. Basically it's the same process. They want to make sure just the codes and laws and things like that are slightly different. I would assume. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, the state of Wisconsin, we went through a police academy up there and, and many of the things, uh, are, are really all the different 50 states as it relates to like driving techniques, use of force issues, all of those things. Uh, that's pretty universal around the country. And so, uh, we had to do 196 hours and the 196 hours down here related to the code of criminal procedure and then the penal code, the Texas laws. So that's what we had to do. We went through a modified police academy and then wow. took the test and here we are. Nice. And so I know you eventually became a sheriff, the sheriff. <laughs> how how long were you in the, the police department? What department were you? I, I started with uh, Fort Bend ISD. Okay. Uh, uh, my twin brother was with Sugarland, and I started with Fort, Fort Bend ISD. And it was enjoyable, I mean, I, but I just don't know how long I could handle, you know, just watching young, you know, students and stuff. So I ended up going sure. to Richmond. And, and I ended up getting into the elected portion. I, I ran for public office and uh, the council's office in 2004, I was elected. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I was elected as the council precinct four in absentia. I mean, uh, I was in Iraq, uh, actually, when that election took place. Really? Yes. So I wanted in absentia and, uh, and then I was reelected in 2008. 
uh, chose to run for sheriff, Fort Bend County Sheriff in 2012. Uh, successful there, uh, sought re-election in 2016, and then ran, ran for Congress here in 2020. Yeah. So we've interviewed a few people that have had a law enforcement background, and they all have similar but different answers. What was it that drew you to law enforcement as a career? My father. My dad was the county sheriff in Dodge County, Wisconsin. Wow. Uh, he yeah, returned from Korea. My father was a war hero, recipient of the Distinguished Service Cross. For those veterans that may be listening, that is the nation's second highest medal. It's just uh, under the Medal of Honor. Wow. Uh, and when he returned, he was sitting, and believe it or not, back then, you, uh, my dad, Ed, was sitting in a bar, and one of the county commissioners sat next to him and said, well, Ed, you're back from Korea. What are you going to do? And he said, well, I don't know. He, they, his parents had a family farm and said, Ed, would you like to join law enforcement and get at the Fort, uh, Dodge County Sheriff's Office? And he did and ended up becoming the sheriff. So that's what really drew Trevor and I, my twin brother and I, and my second oldest brother, Todd. He joined in the, uh, the law enforcement community. And years later, he became the Dodge County Sheriff. <laughs> really? So uh, it's interesting. My father was a sheriff. My older brother, Todd, became the Dodge County Sheriff. Trevor and I moved to Texas, and I become the Fort Bend County Sheriff. So That's several fantastic. sheriffs in the Nails family. That's awesome. That, it's a great story that the whole family, not the whole family, a lot of the family followed in the, in the footsteps of joining law enforcement. The other question we always ask, how has law enforcement changed for you in that 30 years? It, I have an outsider opinion on how law enforcement's changed, but from your perspective, what were some of the changes you've seen over that period? It's changing. It's evolving. No question about it. Uh, years ago when I started, we didn't really have any. I mean, the, the technology that we see today, whether oh, yeah. it's body cameras, whether it's computers and cars, even the radio system, all of it. Even the cars are changing. The lights are becoming more you know, flashy, so to speak. So yeah. it's changing quite a bit, I think. Uh, in my experience, over the last 30 years, they're taking more and more discretion away from law enforcement, which I think is kind of a sad thing, because years ago we would have the ability to just have casual conversations with people and, and make decisions out on the road, out on the street, and now it just seems like a lot of those, uh, the discretion is being taken away from law enforcement. Yeah, that seems weird. It seems to me that in the moment on the side of the road, you need to be able to make a decision and not worry about the, uh, I don't want to say consequences, but worry about the ramifications based on you having all the information at the moment versus what someone afterwards is going to have. It seems not helpful. <laughs> in, in, uh, I would say this when, when my father was still alive, he's no longer with us, but he said, Troy, uh, son, I don't know if I could do it today. I just don't know if I could be a law enforcement officer today because I think it's actually, it's moving in the wrong direction. I think you're going to see more and more law enforcement agencies struggle to find decent qualified candidates, mm -hmm. uh, which you see the, w with the, uh, the scrutiny, uh, across our nation as it relates to law enforcement, some of these movements, defund the police, this and that. I mean, so I, I think it's it's a very difficult time for law enforcement. Uh, I believe personally a majority, a large, large majority of the American people support their local law enforcement. Yes. When we saw the summertime and all the different civil unrest, I mean, just it was riots and cities burning across our country. There were more individuals that came to the Fort Bend County Sheriff's Office bearing, you know, coming with cookies or snacks or lunch or cards of, with encouraging words on it and saying, this isn't how the people really truly feel. That's amazing. That's beautiful. So after 30 years in law enforcement, you decided to run for 
Congress? And we'll get into kind of the your priorities and things like that in a little bit, but what goes into that decision? What I saw a sheriff uh, in eight years with, um, you know, the sheriff is the, the number one law enforcement, law enforcement officer in the county. I mean, he has a, an enormous amount of responsibility, whatever, all the sheriffs in all the 254 counties. And, in, and what really drove me uh, to this, uh, to running for Congress, is the fact that, that we had to deal, you know, we were very good at arresting people and, and putting criminals in jails. And then uh, the, one of the most difficult uh, times for me were when we had many victims of crime that uh, were victims and the suspects were individuals that had been deported two, three, four, five, six times. And so really the, the immigration law or lack thereof uh, is what really drove me to this. And, and it's Congress's responsibility. It's their responsibility to address our immigration laws and keep the American people safe, but they haven't done it. They have, we in Congress have the ability to solve this problem. It's just Congress doesn't have the willingness to mm-hmm. solve this problem. And so that, honestly, full disclosure, that's what drew me to this. And, yeah. and and I talked about it. I tried to spotlight some of the horrific crimes that were being committed in Fort Bend County by individuals. And, and I'm not against legal immigration. I, I don't support illegal immigration. Right. Illegal has a lot to do with it, right? Like, it, if you you need to follow the rules and the process, and well, Jake, it it, it it's hard when you serve as a sheriff and, and and put yourself in my position one day when when you're having to talk to a a gentleman that uh, lost his mother who was crossing the road, and a car struck and killed her. The car ended up leaving the scene. But thank goodness with technology, there were some cameras on local businesses that caught the license plate and that the individual's been deported several times. So you're thinking, well, how did he ever get back? How does an individual ever get deported more than one time? And honestly, Jake, if you get deported, it's because you've done something really, really wrong. You've committed a a violent crime or you've violated the laws in our Mm -hmm. great state. And, and so I, it, that's just kind of hard for me to swallow. So I'm, I'm pretty passionate about the, the immigration conversation that right now we're experiencing even today with our southern border. I was there last week. So we have some work to do. Yeah. And, and so it sounds to me that there wasn't, uh, I've, I've talked to people about why they decided to run before. And there was, there's one specific moment. This happened and I was done. I had to do something. And it sounds like to you, to me, that for you, a lot of, I'm not going to say little things, but a, a lot of things happened to kind of culminate in this decision. Right. Accumulation because for years. It, it doesn't, running for Congress does not seem like the easiest <laughs> thing to do. And it seems very time consuming. And it seems like you have to want to do it. Like that sounds dumb, but to me, you can't just do it for fun. And so, cause I've seen what it takes to run a campaign. You're out there nonstop. What was that like for you to, to run a campaign outside of law enforcement, if that makes sense? Well, I, I'll say this, that uh, yes, the sheriff is not a, um, he's not a policymaker. You know, he just uh, enforces the laws that are, are written from the state legislature. And, and it, when I, I talk about the immigration, but it, you know, in addition to that, it's just when you get to all of these uh, these politicians, I'll call them, or elected leaders, and and every two years they'll get in front of the camera and they'll tell you they're going to do all these great things, they're going to do this and they're going to do that, and then they do just the opposite. That could be very very frustrating. So I'm I'm the type of guy that just gets out there and and I'm just straight to the point, straightforward with the people, and and uh, it hasn't hurt me up to this point. Uh, some will say you're a little bit too, you know, 
brass. You're, you you get out there. You just, you know, you don't, there's, I don't sugarcoat a whole lot uh, because I think the American people really want to hear the truth. So, so running for Congress for me, uh, I don't want to say it was a, a difficult thing because that being a county sheriff representing 850,000 people, knowing that 70% of the votes come out of Fort Bend was a helpful thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. It helped. All right. And we're going to dive into what it's like to be a congressman as well as some of your experiences during that time. But first, we'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's your friendly neighborhood realtor, Parker White with New Villa Realty. It's not a secret the real estate market is red hot right now. Whether you have a dream of becoming a homeowner, your family's growing, and you need more room, or if you're an empty nester, I got you covered. New Villa Realty specializes in helping our clients achieve their real estate goals through a stress-free process and open communication 24-7. You will never be left in the dark, and I will be there with you for any questions you may have. Connect with me today so we can sit down and get you where you want to be. My phone number is 281-678-1811 or email me at Parker at Nuvilla Realty, N-U-V-I-L-L-A.com. I would love to meet you. I'm Jamie Scafidi, President and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce exists to provide support to businesses and organizations in the Alvin and Manville area. With various networking and marketing opportunities every month, the Chamber can help you grow your business. Learn more at alvinmanvillechamber.org. 1820 Marketing is the producer of this podcast, and if you have marketing needs, we can help. Now more than ever, professional marketing can separate your business from the competition. What you're doing isn't working for you. It's time to try something different. 1820 Marketing, something different. Contact us at info at 1820marketing.com. Now back to the show. So as a new congressman, I know you, you had a kind of a boot camp originally when you started, but what does a typical week look like for you? Yeah, well, it's uh, as a freshman, you know, we had that, you talk about, we had a, an orientation. I always call it baby congressman school. You know, you go to this baby congressman school and that was uh, after the general election. So we had time to spend a couple weeks together, get to know all the other freshmen. So a typical week for me would be is uh, you come home mostly on weekends. You're up there four days a week, I would say. Gotcha. You fly up on uh, a Monday morning or or maybe a Monday afternoon, um, and you come home either Thursday, late evening, or Friday. So okay. you're home most weekends. It seems like when you're there, you're probably running nonstop just because between sessions and then also meetings and, and everything like that. Are you also running full speed on the weekends, or are you able to kind of take a moment and rejuvenate and spend time with family and, and recharge? Yeah, you, you say that when you're up there about nonstop under normal conditions. And honestly, I and the other freshmen, we don't know what normal is because of the COVID. So uh, it, it, to try to say that we have meetings, uh, you know, we, we don't, matter of fact, there's three buildings that house members of Congress. There's the Cannon, the Longworth and the Rayburn. I'm in the Longworth building, which is in the middle, but you can't have visitors in any of the buildings. The gate, I mean, the fence was around it, but COVID security concerns. So uh, I, if I had a constituent visiting from the district, I couldn't even let them in my building. I couldn't That's get true. in through the fence uh, because you have to have a staff. Only It's only for Congress and their staffs uh, until they relax this, this uh, COVID protocol, but it's not there yet. Many people have even asked, well, hey, when can we come up and visit? 
visit you. I said, I'd probably wait till June or July. Wow. That's because true, it's yeah. just so, so the meetings aren't really there. We're getting so used to these Zooms. I'm getting to be a good Zoomer. Yes. You know, and so a lot of it's through Zoom. Uh, even uh, our committees, many of those meetings are held through Zoom. So uh, we're busy up there, but we're not so busy as far as interacting with people in person. And then when I come down here, uh, yes, there's several activities. Today's a very busy day. Starting this morning, we'll be uh, busy through the rest of the day. But it's good because this is where you can really uh, find uh, civility, good, good people down here and just having conversations. Right. Yeah, I can see that, especially it just seems like you you have a very busy day because I know you were at Sunrise Rotary this morning, taking the time to sit down with me in the mid morning. Then you have a luncheon that you're going to be speaking about. And I can just imagine it's probably a good relief from double speak in Congress <laughs> sometimes. I absolutely love it. Uh, I, I love coming down and, and just go, traveling throughout the district, talking to people and, and asking them, hey, I've, I've been there 90 days. And, and you see some of these bills that are being drafted uh, by the majority up there. And I, I, tr- I want to know how people truly feel and if they truly even know what's in the bill, what is the language of the bill? And if they don't, I feel then it's my job to try to help educate them with facts, keep the emotion out of these arguments and just facts. And then, and and then I want their opinion and how they, how they look at the bill and how I should move forward with it. Yeah. I wonder how much of that's helped by your law enforcement background, because you do have to take the emotion out of those situations. And then carrying that over as a congressman probably helps a lot that you don't you can separate the emotion from the reality. That's got to be helpful for you. It it is, because I think uh, when you see even during campaigns or elections or some of this stuff, uh, they, they tend to just go after people's emotions. You know, let's let's hide facts and let's just put all the emotion in it. And a lot of times people kind of they they make decisions and they react based on their emotions. And that and that can be problematic. Now that you're through your first 90 days, I'm sure you've got it all figured out. And uh, (laughs) so what are some of your priorities for your term? Obviously, the, that first 90 days, actually, it's the first week or so. It's where are you going to be housed? You want to have a good office, right? There's yeah. 57 freshmen. You want to make sure that you have a decent office. So there was a lottery draw, and uh, I ended up getting number two out oh, of the wow. 57. So I had, the, in my opinion, the pick of the litter. I got the office I wanted. I'm in that Longworth building, first floor, have a great view of the Cannon building. I mean, it's just beautiful. And then it's 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 off then to committee assignments. So you want to get on some decent committees. And there are several committees out there. There are some A committees, which are like Ways and Means, Energy and Commerce, Financial Services, Appropriations. Those freshmen aren't really getting on those. Uh, sure. uh, you get uh, on B committees. So I fought really, really hard to get on transportation and infrastructure, which is a B committee as well. And then I'm on Veterans Affairs because I'm an old military guy. And so that works out real well for me and I'm enjoying that. Uh, But T&I is a very important committee and I worked very, very hard for that because we see a big uh, infrastructure package, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, It's $2.3 trillion is what the the president, the administration rolled out the other day. And so we're looking at that to figure out what can we do, what can I do to make sure that we address the the transportation and infrastructure issues we have in Texas 22nd. So and we have a lot. <laughs> yes, we do have a lot. Flood mitigation. Uh, there's 36. There are 36 uh, members of Congress in Texas. There's 36. Uh, 
uh, congressional districts. Uh, there'll probably be three more once the census comes out. So probably right. go to 39. But out of the 36 right now, Texas 22, this, this congressional district is the fastest growing. So definitely it, people are moving here. They love it here. They love Alvin pear land, man. I mean, this yeah. is a great, great community. It's great schools. This whole district's an amazing district because Alvin Pearland I grew up in, but then also having family and Katie, we would drive through, um, Sugar Land, we took the long way. But uh, seeing Richmond Rosenberg, even from 20, 30 years ago to what it is now, it, it's booming in 59. And it's just, we're used to it. We, it's a norm for us to be growing this fast. And I occasionally have to take a step back and go, not not every part of the country is, is I don't successful, but growing. It doesn't have the growth that this area does. And it fascinates me it's kind of a blessing to kind of watch it happen. It's kind of fun to, to see how things are growing. You're right. You're right. And that's why it is so important that uh, your listeners and people get involved in these local elections and these county elections, because whether it's the city uh, mayor and the, and the city council or county judge and the commissioners, making sure that they can handle and address that growth in a timely fashion, plan for it, prepare for it. Because you can see our roadways. I mean, Highway 6. I mean, so we have so many people moving in. We have so many rooftops being built and more families moving into this district. So it's staying ahead of it to make sure that we can continue, continue, I say, to provide that decent, that good quality of life for the people that chose this district home. That yeah. choose it, yeah. uh, Mayor Cole had mentioned that about time and with better roads, it's not going to take me an hour and a half to get home. It's going to take me an hour. I just gained that half hour. And what can I do with that over time? It adds up. It, it's That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So how do you balance, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but how do you balance taking in the information from a con, from your constituents and then acting on their behalf? How, and you could spend all day just listening to them or you could spend all day legislating but you, you need to have that balance. How do you kind of manage that? Uh, um, I, I'll say this. I really don't know yet. You know, I've been there 90 days. Of course, we have voted on some bills. There was one that came up. It was the $1.9 trillion. They, they call it the American Rescue Plan, at least the Biden administration. And, and when we looked at that, I voted no. Every other Republican voted no as well because I don't think it really rescued the American people. Uh, and so there are going to be some things um, – uh, that some of my constituents may not necessarily agree with me on, uh, but that's okay. I, we're not going to agree on 100% of everything. I sure. said it this morning in that breakfast. I said, if we can agree on 80% of everything, we've made progress yeah, because our country is so divided right now. It's just horrible. Mm -hmm. That is very true. Um, the, the last question I have for you is probably more emotional, but you were actually on the floor during the Capitol riot and you did the opposite of what, 90% of Congress and the staffers did, which is they all evacuated and it seems like you kicked into law enforcement and you started helping. What was that experience like for you? That's a one, hopefully that's a once in a lifetime experience that no one should have had to experience, but it happened. Kind of walk us through that. That's sure. Um, well, when I say the chamber, that the House of Representatives uh, that, that you see, they call it the chamber. Uh, there are three doors uh, that lead into the, the lower chamber. And then there's, an, there's a gallery upstairs with many, many doors. And that's where when, if you ever get the opportunity to tour the 
the U.S. House of Representatives. They'll, many of the students and everything will sit up in that upper gallery. But there's three main doors leading into uh, the House of Representatives. And I was at the center doors. Uh, if anybody would watch the State of the Union, those center doors is where the president and others would enter down. The, and that splits uh, the, the chamber. It splits the chamber. And so I was there sitting at the chairs in the rear, uh, back by the, by the, and, uh, some gentlemen came in and they rushed in and there were many of them in plain clothes with earpieces. And then there were many with uniforms on and, and the plain clothes immediately rushed up and took uh, speaker Pelosi off of her podium up there and, and rushed her through the back there were doors in the back of the chamber mm-hmm. as well. And then many of the uniform officers started securing doors. Many went upstairs. There were many more doors leading into the gallery but there were only three. So they started securing the doors and there was a gentleman that said, everybody, uh, uh, you, you are, we are on lockdown. The Capitol building has been breached. And so there we were. And they said, you can't go anywhere. Matter of fact, everybody should just get down. You know, and I'm thinking, I'm not getting down. I don't know what, uh, said, if, if you're near your chair, sit down, get down and reach uh, between underneath the seat is a, is a, a, a gas mask. Yes. So many people were pulling out gas masks uh, because the Capitol Police knew that they were deploying tear gas gas uh, inside the Capitol to try to get these individuals out. And so I was standing there at the back and some of the plainclothes gentlemen were watching uh, those two main doors. They were locked. They secured them. And then all of a sudden, I kid you not, Jake, those doors started just shaking there wow. were individuals on the other side that were trying to get in and breach that. And there were a couple of members that brought some furniture over. And you can see some of these in some of the pictures. I didn't know all these pictures were being taken. But yeah. those, those, the furniture to help, you know, provide a little bit more barrier mm-hmm. uh, in case they were able to breach the doors. But then you can see these, these Capitol Hill police with their guns drawn. Uh, when they whoever that was, uh, broke that glass. I believe it was the guy, because when I looked through the broken glass, it was a guy with a big flagpole and uh, a stick. And I believe he used that stick to, to shatter that glass. And that's when it got a little hairy, a little tense, because initially the force, the blunt force on that glass, we, it, it almost sounded like gunshots. And the oh. one Capitol Hill police guy, he said, shots fired, shots fired. And that's when you almost, you could immediately see that, that information went over the radio. And so all of a sudden, I'm sure the media got that. And what does the media do? Shots fired inside the Capitol. Well, not at that time. We, I could see where somebody could have thought that was, you know, but I took my jacket off. There's another congressman named Mark Wayne Mullen there. He had his jacket off and I kept my phone in my pocket of my suit, my suit coat. And for 18 minutes, my wife was trying to call me because she was seeing this stuff. Uh-huh. I tell you, I paid for that one. I like, how can you respond? But she was able to get a hold of my twin brother and some of the others in my staff because she was definitely concerned because she heard that there were shots fired in the Capitol, people inside the Capitol, there's rioting. But I stood back there, Jay, because uh, one of the gentlemen said, you, you have to leave. You must leave. And I said, sir, I'm not going anywhere. I said, I'm staying here with my brothers and sisters in blue. Mm-hmm. And I stayed and I remained. And so did Mark Wayne Mullen and a few other, our Texas delegation. And so I just, I was trying to diffuse the situation. That law enforcement kicks in. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing to me is that people say in a situation like that, oh, I'd stick around. I'd, I'd do this. I'd do that. And 
you honestly don't know until you're in the moment. It helps to have 30 years of law enforcement experience in the back of your head, the way you react and the way you process. You're you're thinking five to 10 steps ahead of what normal, normal non-law enforcement people would do. I'm not going to say Congress, but honestly, most of them are not former law enforcement. I remember seeing the photos and I remember seeing someone going, oh, that's our congressman. That one? You know, because you see the photo and you go, okay, that to me, that says something that you stuck around and stood with the officers because no one knew what was going on. I mean, I, I'm nobody, but it's you just text messages with your friends going, are you watching this? Are you seeing this happening? And it was just the weirdest thing to watch it happen. And I can't imagine being on the inside, what that must've been like. It, it is uh, Jake and I'll, I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail. So I'm sitting in the back there and, and of course I was just sitting down before and, and all of a sudden I get a, a text message from my brother and my brother says, Hey, Exactly, yeah. Other person uh, rushed into the House chamber to take uh, Speaker Pelosi away. We didn't know, so I'm texting back and forth. I go, ah, no, I don't know. I mean, what's going on? They say there's people inside the Capitol. Well, it's a big building, Jake. I mean, yeah. we didn't know what's really happening. We were going through, you know, we were uh, taking care of the business of the day. So I was really truly alerted by people like my brothers and others that were texting me saying, Boy, there's rioting going on. The Bre- the Capitol, they're inside the rotunda, and the rotunda's right down the hallway from us, you know? Mm-hmm. So then when I saw uh, these individuals rushing, and I said, well, now this is getting serious. And so that's ended up when I ended up taking my jacket off, breaking that piece of, there's a wooden uh, hand sanitizer, you know, little stanchions back there, and Mark Wayne Mullen broke off a piece of a Congressman Mullen from Oklahoma, and then I broke the other one off, and that's what I, I used in, in case uh, they would... Uh, you know, breach those doors sure. like a pugil stick, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I engaged with the, uh, and I'm going to call them knuckleheads on the other side of the door and told them, I said, fellas, you, what you're doing is un-American. It's wrong. And mm-hmm. it may cost you your life because if you breach this door, these gentlemen here that have their guns drawn, they'll kill you. They yeah. will kill you. And uh, so we were able to just, we're, we're blessed that, that they didn't breach the doors I just, I did what, uh, honestly, what I felt uh, most anyone that has served in law enforcement would do. Yeah, and not to, I'm curious, because you see the video, you see that intense moment. What I didn't see was, did they just all shrug their shoulders and walk off? Like, I saw them get to the doors. I saw them leaving the Capitol. When did common sense kick in for them and they decided to leave? I mean, it just, I don't get that moment where they're going to go. Sure, sure. It's a great question. Uh, I, I I will say this is, is after they broke the glass and and then you can see me in the Capitol Hill Police, I'm engaging with these individuals trying to defuse the situation. It was just a few minutes later that we heard the shot. And and I believe that was the shot that was in the speaker's chamber uh, where that Capitol Hill Police ended up uh, taking the life of that, that young lady. It was at that time an individual, I believe the same person said, sir, gentlemen, you must leave and you must leave now. At that point in time, I didn't think it would be in my best interest or anyone else to argue at that point in time. And so we left. I believe that's when the Capitol Hill police uh, were able to probably tear gas and other things to be able to get uh, the individuals that were at that center doors to leave Gotcha. Uh, but I, I didn't, uh, we, I left after they, t- uh, after that shot, second shot, yeah, gotcha. that shot. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, thank you, Congressman Nels, for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. Thank you again to Heights Baptist Church for letting us record the podcast here. It's greatly appreciated. Learn more about Heights Baptist Church at heightschurch.org. Also, thank you again to the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce for helping to arrange this. For more information about the chamber, visit alvinmanvillechamber.org. Finally, thank you to our listeners. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that by sponsoring this podcast, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing and is available wherever you get your podcasts or at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jake. Pray for our country.